and welcome to another episode of the Unmasked Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, uh, Scott Moorfield from Town Hall. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I, before we kind of get into the questions, I just wanted to also say thank you for your your excellent review of my book. Uh, you know, you really hit a lot of the important points I was trying to make with the data and kind of the narrative of masking. And I'm really glad it came through and, and thank you for capturing it so well. Of course, it, it was a great um, the book. It, it It's just so important because we, we can see this stuff coming to an end, it seems like. But a lot of these assumptions are under the surface. So to have a book out there like this, that um, your work, Berenson's work, um, I know Megan Man- Mansell is coming out with a book. Um, this stuff is just really important to hammer down the fact that it's just not, there's no science behind this nonsense. And we can't let them just get away with evading any sort of responsibility and pretending that their methods worked and that's why they're now letting us free. So yeah, your book's really important to, to accomplish that. Well, thank you. And I, I completely agree. That's the whole point is to try to destroy the kind of underlying arguments behind masking so that it, it can't ever be kind of brought back as some kind of semi-permanent rolling measure down the road. Exactly. So my first question for you, uh, just kind of early on, you know, what what made you skeptical about the effectiveness of COVID policy? Was it something in, immediately you were skeptical of? Did it take some time? What was your kind of initial response to, to COVID? Great question. Um, my first town hall post critical of COVID measures took, uh, was released in March 2020. Uh, it, it didn't take long to realize that all this, that they were just basically full of shit um, (laughs) and and everything that they were trying to say. And the first thing that led me to that conclusion was the actual case fatality rate of the Diamond Princess outbreak initially. Um, Because I I remember following this some in January and February, and you would see people, uh, you see these videos of people falling over, and it was a little scary. I, I remember watching Tucker Carlson before the lockdowns, even before we knew that what this would be, he he was saying, man, you know, there was, there may be no NCAA tournament. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. No NCAA tournament. Well, what is this? You know? And I was hoping maybe he was exaggerating and and there were a lot of unknowns then, but uh, just, just seeing the numbers come in and you could see if, the, if there were, uh, so even understanding the difference between case fatality rate and infection retail, fatality rate and seeing that people who were um, logged as a case was a lot, that, that number was a lot lower than the amount of people actually getting infected and they kept conflating that number early on and panicking people and making them think, man, I've got a 5% chance or a 3% chance of dying from this. And that's scary. I mean, regardless, I mean, we always knew the elderly were, were more susceptible. But when you start seeing these massive, them using these high case fatality rates and not even speaking to infection, and the amount of people, the number of people who were actually infected, it, it led me to think that there was more to this than what uh, we were being told. So that's when I was like, this, this is not, uh, why are they doing this? Because the best way, common sense 
logically the best way was always to protect the vulnerable and to let her rip among the healthy population because they were not going to be susceptible. And it just seems so commonsensical. And this was obviously way before the Great Barrington Declaration, but there were people saying this even when I wrote that. I mean, uh, there were, uh, I remember seeing an, inter an interview from the Texas Lieutenant Governor saying the same thing, and he got a lot of flack for that. But yeah, it was pretty early. You could see through it pretty early. Yeah, that's a great point. A lot of people forget that the initial numbers from like the World Health Organization, I think it was 3.4% or something was the fatality rate that oh, they yeah. were they were thrown out there. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. Exactly. It's terrifying. It was totally incorrect, but it kind of set the tone for <laughs> all the policies that came afterwards. Yeah, and uh, now they'll admit that it's 0.2. What is it? 0.02, you know, 0.2. They'll admit that now, but this is not what we were told at the beginning. Yeah. You know, that established this. Exactly. Uh, so my next question is, is a little bit kind of going specifically into masks. Um, at this point, I think it's become pretty obvious to, to most people paying attention. We're, we're seeing that kind of more widely discussed now. There wasn't really any evidence or science to suggest that mask wearing would work. And I've been asking a lot of people this and I want to get your opinion. What was it do you think that made them push it so hard? Why did they flip flop on this uh, early on? Yeah, Really, the goal, I think, especially, it, it may have been um, altruistic at the beginning. I think the goal was people are panicking, really panicking, and we're going to shut some things down. But as we open up, because this mass debate didn't happen until May, June, that I, I never even thought that this would be an issue in March or April. Never even occurred to me. We were going in grocery stores with no masks. Everybody was, nobody was wearing a mask. It was not a concern. The virus goes down. They've got to convince people to leave their basement. And so, all right. Then I think the noble lie started that they call it. A, I would call it a noble. I, I wouldn't call it a noble lie, but in their minds, Maybe they, they they say, oh, Fauci, the noble lie was we were trying to save it for health care workers. No, the noble lie. He was telling the truth at the beginning. But the noble lie was if you wear a mask, you'll be protected and you can come out. So I think that they were basically trying to get people to come out and engage in society and, and do um, conduct economic activity. And they knew they couldn't do that without a security blanket. So I think that the mask were started as a security blanket to get economic activity going. And then they had to stick with that once they committed. So everything followed from that. So they had to ignore all the previous studies that you discuss in your book. They had to ignore all that stuff. And pretend this is something totally different, even though it's not. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's still a respiratory virus. It's still, um, if, if it doesn't work against the flu, it's not going to work against COVID. Never worked against the flu. It doesn't work against COVID. But they had to convince. And then and then I think as, the, as it went along, it became more and more about control, uh, about uh, political politics, a political statement. So I think it, it's morphed over the months and years, but but I think it started off as kind of a noble lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, I somebody asked me about that and mentioned noble lie. I was like, I, I think it's better to just tell the truth. <laughs> no exactly. Let's <laughs> you know, just tell the truth. That's a good good strategy. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
so early on, and this is kind of a political question in some ways, but do you think that if Donald Trump had come out and openly been kind of a, an advocate for masking, had been really forcefully saying everybody should wear a mask, would the, the kind of mainstream media outlets been doing what you and I have been doing over the last year and a half? Like, what would they would the, would the results have been different as far as media coverage if Trump had been very openly supportive of masking? <laughs> Probably. It, it, whatever he said, it, it, he messed up H hydrochloroquine for everybody inadvertently because he says, oh, this could be great. And everybody's like, no, it, it can't. He could say he could have said the sky is, is uh, blue and they would have said it was green. So uh, but I'm not sure, honestly, uh, just thinking about that. I mean, our governor here in Tennessee, Bill Lee, he's pretty good. He's not as good as DeSantis or Gnome during that era. Uh, he, he's not as good as some or uh, Kim Reynolds. Uh, but I would rank him in the top five. I'd put him at, you know, at least between five and eight in terms of pretty solid governors during this pandemic. And he, uh, I remember, I'll never forget just him going up there, face it, face mask work. You couldn't drive, you know, 30 minutes in Tennessee without seeing a billboard that had that. Uh, so they, they were really pushing it here early on. So I'm not necessarily convinced that that would have changed the narrative a whole lot. I mean, you, you can see how the reacting, how the reaction is to Trump now when he starts touting the vaccines. Uh, so, but yeah, they, they might, they might've, uh, it, it might've had some shift in it, but I, I don't know that it would have had a whole lot. It's interesting. I, I have gone running around about that myself. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think that there would have maybe early on, especially there would have been more skepticism and that might've helped it stop spreading so widely as uh, the You're most important thing to do. You're saying if he would have led from the start and been the one saying, wear a mask, wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if the media would have been skeptical. Yeah. Because early on, there were some yeah. articles from even the Wall Street Journal saying, like, everybody wore masks in the 1918 flu and it was useless. Um, so, mm, you know, that's true. Maybe that's, there might have been a little change. That's intriguing. Yeah. That's intriguing. I, I don't, I, I don't know. He, if, that's, uh, it feels like such a, uh, at this point now, anyway, it feels like mandatory masking is such an, an evil, like it's become such a societal evil and a menace that it, it's hard for me to imagine the media being against it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even with Trump, I, know. I think eventually they probably would have come around and jumped on board. I mean, they do it with the vaccines. They're, they love the they know that he's responsible in some way or, or a lot of ways for these quick you know rushed vaccines but they're still behind those so maybe not it's good that's a lot of interesting hypotheticals there um yeah. and you, you kind of brought this up a second ago but i wanted to uh get your sense of you know who do you think has done the best job in the u.s policy wise or what are the governors that have handled this the best or, or local politicians you think yeah so i would say Kim Reynolds, probably number one right there. Maybe DeSantis a close second. Um, Kim Reynolds, I mean, what other state passed a law banning mass mandates? Banning mass mandates. You know, a real law that doesn't have a sunset. 
So there's a law in Tennessee now, and, and we managed to, to pass that, but it has a sunset. And it also says that the governor can uh, override the law. So that's interesting. I don't know why that's there, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess I do know why that's there. But it's, it's not all it's played out to be, uh, but Iowa has stuff on the books that actually protect their people from COVID fascism going forward. And I know DeSantis has that mentality, too. Um, and so it just maybe their legislature is not as conservative as Iowa's. So I think that if he had his druthers on everything, he would be every bit as good. But I would say Kim Reynolds, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, Christy Nome comes to mind. I, I know that there's issues that conservatives would disagree with her on um, lately, non-COVID related. But as far as COVID, she's been really solid. Um, Billy, because honestly, I've got issues with Billy of Tennessee but he never did impose a statewide mass mandate and I've got to give him credit for that. That's, that's a, that's a huge thing in my book. If you, I mean, obviously a governor has more authority to do that than a president would. Um, but I still don't believe the governor, a governor should have that authority. I think that's, I don't think anybody should have that authority, but if anybody does, it would be a local, it, it should be a local, um, mm -hmm. County officials. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, Say Alabama had a mass mandate. Louisiana had one. Uh, Tate Reeves came along later. Greg Abbott came along later. So the, those guys uh, in a second. I would put those guys in a second tier. Um, am I, who am I missing? Oh, uh, Ricketts, Nebraska. He, he was solid, really solid. Yeah. I would put him in top five for sure. One other one that I, I, I think we all kind of – has flies on, flies on the radar a bit was uh, I think it's Henry McMasters in South Carolina. Mm, that's true. They, he did a really good job. It's just it's because South Carolina just doesn't get any uh, attention <laughs> seemingly. That's but right. Yeah, he just, did fantastic. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, I mean, so this is kind of a related question. So you know, I, I it seems like from what we've seen in national elections, even local elections recently, that the the politicians that came out there and and allowed for more freedom and fought back against kind of these insane policies have benefited in elections and, and polling and things like that. Um, but, you know, we're seeing some of these these kind of blue state governors and uh, maybe even some national change in terms of, of policy direction. So, you know, in the next couple of years, is that going to be forgotten? Are people, or will it benefit somebody like Ron DeSantis from winning the, you know, the 2024 presidential election, for example? Or, or is it going to be kind of have faded in memory by that point that it won't be as big of a, a benefit? I hope that the people don't forget. I, I really do. I, I think that's, I think political necessity has, is what has caused, like you said, it, it has caused some of the leaders to kind of gravitate over to what we would call team reality on this. Um, the public is very susceptible to forgetting things, but this has been a two year ordeal. This is not, just been a month, two weeks to flatten the curve, whatever. This has been two years to flatten the curve. Um, I don't think that people are going to be quite as forgiving. I mean, there, there's going to be a little bit of that fade, but I think uh, there, people are not going to be as forgiving as they have been for issues in the past. Now, to what degree that holds true, I don't know. But if 
we're going to see a lot uh, this year with Florida. If DeSantis can pull off the win and win reasonably convincingly, I think that'll be a really good sign that people are remembering, especially in that state where you've got a lot of, you've got uh, just a lot of, of division um, and a lot of, a lot of diversity and, and a lot of um, it's just, it's, it's kind of a swing state that's been leaning Republican lately, but uh, if he can win, that says uh, that'll say a lot um, about that. And I don't know, as far as 2024, it's really hard to predict, you know, we're going to see, I I feel like this may be a future question, but I don't know that we're done with COVID. (laughs) So this may be an ongoing battle. And honestly, if it is, it's probably going to be good for conservatives because our side, yeah, we're going, it's going slow, but our side keeps gaining ground. It's not like we're giving up any ground here. We keep gaining ground. Yeah. So that's a good sign. That actually was another question I had. So we'll, (laughs) we'll go into that one right now. That's good timing. Uh, So, you know, I think my concern right now is that it's become more politically acceptable or even encouraged now for places to lift mask mandates or, or some remove some policies. But as soon as we get another new variant, which I'm sure will inevitably come or, you know, we get the surges that we've seen seasonally in the summer months or especially in the winter months, mm-hmm. um, they'll go right back to it. And all of a sudden the science will change again. Uh, you know, is that too pessimistic? Do you agree with that? It seems like you agree, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah I'm afraid of that in some areas. Of course, you see a little bit of a diminishing uh, aspect to that because if you, uh, interestingly, like with the Delta wave, you, you would see some, you saw a, a decent amount of, uh, a decent number of places rolling back into mandates. Yeah, and But then with Omicron, you saw a few less so it's not like everybody just went right back to mass mandates. All the GOP areas, for the most part, I mean, I know you had Asa Hutchinson in Arkansas begging his legislature to overturn a law that he has signed banning mass <laughs> mandates um, because, you know, he's worthless. But but um, in most red places, life was normal. I mean, I'm in Tennessee. Life was normal during Delta and Omicron for the vast majority of people for the large part it was totally normal except the few times i had to fly and that was that's always hellish but but um as far as just going into stores there was no issue some people wear masks some people don't and it's live and let live which is really the way it's it should have been this whole time but i, I don't know i mean it, it's 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 hard to say what the uh as far as them going back into it i, w- I will say that They've backed themselves into the corner. That was my latest town hall, actually, on Monday, because I know that some people don't like. I'll bring up the fact that N95s. Okay, so now they say that N95s work as protection. Okay, so they've this whole time they've been saying that source control, source control. So two people can be wearing. A t-shirt material over their noses and it's source control and then we're all protected right well the more stuff that comes out the more that's been deemed nonsense but now you've got all these people leanna win as you jaw um the washington post the the uh, atlantic saying that one-way masking works to protect you in a meaningful way and so you would caveat that with wear it correctly maybe double mask, uh, um, 
have it fit tested, replace it regularly, don't touch it. So you could you could caveat with all these things, but theoretically at least they're now claiming, well, they are claiming that one-way masking works to protect the wearer. So what person would be, if somebody, if anybody is going to wear a mask correctly, it's going to be somebody who's themselves immunocompromised. So wear the mask and I don't have to wear one because one may masking according to them works. Right. So I don't know. Now you would, you, I know that you've done charts on N95 mandates. We know they don't work. The N95 mandates. So we don't, there's reasons for that. And one of the reasons that people don't wear them, right. Whatever you could say, you know, it's, it's not sustainable. You can't wear an N95 for long correctly because you're not going to be able to breathe. Yeah. Um, but theoretically, right. They can protect themselves. So forced masking should be over from a logical perspective. So like I had a tweet thread out the other day, keep the receipts because I just put a link to in every tweet, a link of all these articles where they're now saying that because they're saying that to get their people on board with, Hey, we're going to have to relax the mandates for now. Sorry, mm -hmm. but you guys are going to have to come out of your basement. You know, we love you, yada, yada. So Leanna Wynn, you know, the queen of the Covidians herself on CNN says this now. You know, yeah. She's the voice of reason now. So <laughs> You could have made a, a big money betting against that just six <laughs> <You> months know, <laughs> ago. I would have never guessed that, you know, mislocked the vaccinated in their homes. Exactly. Um, or the unvaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the interesting thing you just brought up is kind of the protection of one-way masking. But a lot of that same argument could be applied to like vaccination where people that have been vaccinated. Exactly you're protected, right? That's the yeah, whole thing. Supposedly. Mm -hmm. So is it right? So, you, you know, you should feel protected. You shouldn't be worried about what everybody else is doing around you because you're not going to get seriously ill. Yeah. Uh, so kind of relatedly, you know, these politicians brought in vaccine passport policies in a lot of the country and in the world, which never made any sense by that logic, but they're still in effect in many areas, you know, France, Italy's policy just got so much worse where they literally fired. I think it was over 500,000 people over 50 for not getting vaccinated. Uh, they're yeah. still in effect in, in LA and San Francisco, New York are, are, you know, what do you think? Are these policies close enough to ending as close to ending as well? Are they, you know, how is this remotely defensible at this point after uh, this winter? You know, what, what do we do with this? It, that is mind boggling to me. I mean, you can see some, I've seen trickles of different companies doing away with their vaccine mandates. So that's a good sign. Um, Washington DC is under a lot of pressure because, uh, you've got Maryland to the north. You've got Virginia to the south. None of those have vaccine mandates. So it's absolutely crucifying D.C. restaurants. Um, and I'm not sure that Mayor Bowser even cares about any of that. But it is an interesting uh, – I love seeing the free market at work there because the more places – that way there's a and that's what they've been trying to avoid but they've not been able to avoid the fact that there's a control group they hate that they hate control groups because it just shows their insanity for what exactly what it is um the vax mandates it we're, we're talking about a vaccine that's two years almost two years it's not two years old but it's you know it's been in development for almost you know a year and a half it's against the spike protein where three variants from that um it's less and less efficacious for less and less time, the longer time goes by. So they never explain that stuff. They never will say or explain why you need a vaccine against the spike protein of the, uh, is it the wild variant or the alpha variant? It's, you know, the, maybe the wild variant. I think the it's wild. the wild. Yeah. 
yeah. So why do we need a vaccine against the spike protein of the wild when we're dealing with Omicron right now that evades it for the most part? And then if you're going to have to get a new vaccine every three months or even Reuters admitted six months that it loses most of its efficacy, whatever protection it, it got, which I'm not convinced there's any there because you, you have a, for two weeks after getting the vax, your risk is greatly increased. So by the time you level that out, are you even getting any protection? But say you do get protection six months of you're going to have to get this jab again every six months. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? It, it's just not, it's not sustainable. So I don't understand even the concept of fully vaccinated. Well, if they're, if they're going to be intellectually honest with us, they would need to say that fully vaccinated is the same. They keep trying to make this different term and conflate it with up to date. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? Cause if you were vaccinated a year ago, I promise in any meaningful sense of the word, you're not fully vaccinated. You're only, you're not even, you're not even immune. But if you had it two years ago, we've got studies out now that say your antibody teeters are probably real similar to what they were when you first had it. Yeah. So it's astounding to me just ignoring the natural immunity. Um, and then uh, just the, the nonsense about the vaccine. It's, 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 it's become a God to them. I mean, vaccination and masking are basically the, I mean, this is their new God and they're going to go down swinging with it. Yeah. Uh, kind of relatedly to that, yeah, have you been surprised by what people have been willing to put up with with these policies? I, I personally have been, but what have you been surprised? Yeah, yeah it's 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 crazy. I remember um, walking into even now in East Tennessee for me. Uh, I'm I'm for I've been blessed just living where I live. Where do you live, by the way? I, I'm in Southern California. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You you've you've had it rough. Um, yeah. So you probably don't, I mean, you know, you're, uh, you probably don't have the luxury that I've had, but even here we had a mass mandate from, I guess it was August of 2020 until March, 2021. So about seven to eight months, we had a County mass mandate in our County and it was imposed by the health department and, and the mayor, and there was no, uh, teeth to it. So, you, you know, there was nobody going in and checking a business and saying, where's your mask? Um, nothing like that. But, but even then I was shocked at how many people went along with it. Cause I never did, you know, so we would walk into places without a mask and, you know, I would, I would see maybe one or two other people in a grocery store that didn't have one. It's always nice just to see somebody, um, with some sanity there, but, but it was a little bit, uh, unnerving to be honest to how many people were going along with this. It's, it's always that. And so, and then I, I would listen to accounts of people podcasting and whatnot and, and people in places like Ohio or where you are, especially, and you know, you, you don't, you try not wearing a mask in a store and you're going to get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Um, even wearing it under your nose would probably get you kicked out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's uh, the people's compliance is, it was, it was very unnerving 
it is nice to see more and more because, you know, back then you would see the polls and 70 plus percent of people supported mass mandates. And that's gradually coming down. So you can see some of that stuff coming down. So I think people are getting like I said, you know, we're, we're winning, but not as fast as I would like. But I think people are starting to get wise to it. But the the, the willingness of people to just put away critical thinking to me is just it's 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 amazing. I mean, all of us have lost friends over this. I've lost friends, um, people that just you know they they our views can't abide, and there's no way to get past it. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 sad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, I, I definitely have lost friends, and it is it's kind of hard to believe that it's come to that. But made uh, a lot of new friends too. Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, so kind of switching gears for a second. You know, you write for for Town Hall. Uh, what are some of the challenges for you for writing? You know, writing for a news outlet. Have you felt any pressure to kind of self censor your opinions so you know you're not offending people, or is there is there any of that, or has it been totally fine? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a. Uh, I was at the Daily Caller when the uh, uh, when all this started, and I had done a. I did a weekly column with Town Hall for a while. I've done that since I guess 2018. But but uh, as far as the news, we had to be really careful. I, I remember um, starting off. I would I would just try to pick things to cover that I knew were. We write straight at the Daily Caller. We we wrote straight news. Um, so. I would just cover media hits that, you know, if Scott Atlas did a media hit on Vox news, that was gold. I would try to cover that stuff. Um, pretty, but I had to do it without bias in the writing part, but that's fine. Cause he's saying what he needs to say, what well, everything that needs to be said, I don't need to say it. I just need to cover what he said. So um, it's, it's the, the, I would just try to pick things uh, that, that furthered the truth in that regard. But it started as it got more and more political. It just got tougher and tougher to pick things that had to do. Um, I know for a while the mask became, it was harder to uh, get those kind of stories approved. Um, and then, you know, at town hall, my column, I can cover what I want generally, but you, there's certain things you have to be careful about. And it all revolves around and, and at, the, at daily caller too, it all revolves around not wanting to get kicked off Facebook and that's that's where it all comes what it all comes down to so it's not that the people disagreed with me um so much it's just hey we don't want to lose we don't want to get kicked off facebook and it's a it's a it sucks i mean that's why it's gonna you know truth social is coming out in a month and we've got alternate finally some alternate platforms that are workable but they're still not twitter and facebook Mm-hmm. And you can't reach as many, nearly as many people. And, and if it's if it's an echo chamber, what good is that? Yeah, in some ways. But I think that that covering this stuff was, uh, I, I I had to choose my words. You can't just come out and say the things that I would say about the vaccine if you and I were just talking um, in a bar somewhere. Um, you can't say the things that Alex Berenson says, even though I. I suspect that Alex Berenson has been correct almost a hundred percent of the time. Um, you couldn't come right out and say that stuff uh, in a column. Usually you just have to wait. You have to hide behind some bigger name saying it and then report that they said it 
or just be really careful on how you write it. So yeah, if a column is different, obviously from a news uh, cover coverage. So, but I, I, uh, on the news coverage stuff, I had to be really careful with my words on a column. I could be a little stricter or a little looser with what I say, but even then I couldn't just be as open as I would like to be. And that's because they want, they don't want to get banned by Facebook. That's interesting to bring that up. And I noticed you, you recently wrote a column about Joe Rogan, um, mm. which is, is obviously still a very hot topic of conversation and all the uh, kind of going along with it, all the increased censorship calls from literally from the government, which is kind of scary. But uh, mm. so, you know, what are your thoughts on this and what was important for you in your mind to take away from your article on Joe Rogan? Yeah, that that was the, the fact that they're trying that they were trying so hard. And this was an op there was no doubt that they came after him with both barrels. They purposely dug up just out of context. I'm not defending the use of the N word, but this was not even in their same planet as calling somebody that maliciously, you know, he's yeah. just uttering the syllables. Okay. That's not that it, it just, it's nonsense what they were going after him for and they're doing it because he's he facilitates conversations they don't like and that's really scary because if the left hates anything they hate their worldview being challenged and when you can converse back and forth and dialogue with people maybe you can convince them that you might be right or you can show them data you can show them a chart hey what's up with this chart Explain this to me. It's a conversation. Joe Rogan has conversations and he has people on there that the left disagrees with. They hate that. They would never do that. You're not going to see um, one of us make it onto MSNBC for a conversation. You know, you're, you're not going to, or a leftist podcast to, we're not going to get invited to anything like that because we've got facts on our side and they don't want to hear that. So that's why they hate Joe Rogan. He, he's kind of a leftist himself, but he's just an open-minded guy who likes to talk and likes to, he's open-minded and he likes to have conversations with people. So that's, it's, it's bone chilling. It's Orwellian. There's so much Orwellian about this age that we live in, but the attempts to silence this guy uh, uh, were pretty um, blatant. And I don't know what, I don't think he'll, I mean, he, he probably won't lose his, uh, he's, maybe too big right now, but they almost got him. And, yeah. and, uh, I think they'll still, there's probably still digging in the archives, trying to find something that he said <laughs> to try to get him. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, not because they're, you know, they're not crying in a corner because he uttered the magical syllables. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, intent matters. I think it's is, is exactly a, is a lesson that everybody needs to take to heart here. Uh, yes. so, I, I wanted to, I have just a couple, like two more questions for you, sure. but the, uh, one of my, my senses has been that the media in a lot of ways has been responsible for a lot of these policies that we've seen by not covering them, by not presenting any of the harms. I mean, you can see fact checks and they'll say like, oh, there's no harms for, for putting masks on kids, for example, uh, you know, by ignoring the data and not showing the impact of the policies, like basically just showing here's what we did. What was the result? Uh, is there any hope to salvage them at, at this point? Are they totally gone? What can we do about the media? <laughs> yeah, it's it's so polarized right now. There's no such thing as ma I guess the closest thing we might have to mainstream media is the Wall Street Journal. Um, 
everything else is either super right or, or, or they call them super right because they're so uh, they're, they're trying to report things as normal, but it's right by the left standards. And most outlets of course are, are super left leaning. So I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think there's any hope for them. I, I think that everybody is going to go to their places to get, the truth. I think Fox News does a good job of trying to be balanced as much as they can. And that comes across as right leaning just because these days being balanced is right leaning, <laughs> but <laughs> which is really crazy to, to think about. But, uh, and, you know, they've got their opinion shows and stuff in the evenings. But as far as the website and their news division, that's as balanced as you can get. I think they do a good job with that. But, uh, I don't think there's any bringing back the left-wing media. I think that they're too far gone, and they're they're COVID cult, COVID cult members too. So you can't come back from that. You're they're indoctrinated all yeah. the way. Uh, I agree. It's uh, uh, it's painful to see some of the stuff that gets published and and the comments that are made. And I mean, I you know I'm, yeah. I'm sure you see it. I do this all the time where I put these comments up on, from CNN, and then they're immediately disproven shortly afterwards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so. I, you wrote about this uh, recently with the former CDC director. Uh, so is it important to you as we see the kind of conversation changing, you know, like Washington Post saying mass mandates never work. Is it important <laughs> to you that they, they just get it right now? Or is it is it important that they kind of admit that they were always wrong from the beginning? Yeah, I'll, I'll settle for them just getting it right now. But <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's uh, let's just let's just take our wins. Even Leanna Wynn, goodness gracious, I, I know that she's um, that she's been insane this whole time. But um, I'll take whatever she'll give us, uh, and not just because that moves the the uh, Overton window a little. It, it, that's the the goal is to not let the if our goal is to not let this happen again. That's the goal. So anytime they admit something then they foster the goal of not having this happen again. And I'll mm -hmm. take that. It would be great if they would apologize. I don't think they ever will. Uh, Fauci's definitely, you know, he'll probably never, never admit any of this stuff. But uh, of course, yeah, the, the post about Red, Redfield, the former CDC director, he was you know, talking about how they, a lot less, a lower opinion of mass than he once had when he said they were as, as good as a vaccine, which uh, that's an ironic statement in itself. <laughs> it became <laughs> one because <laughs> maybe he was right, but for different yeah. reasons. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, we'll we'll take what we can get from yeah. from anybody that wants to come on board with some reality. Always looking for those stories. I mean, when I'm clipping the headline or clipping news, uh, I do that on Twitter a lot. I clip clip uh, you know different various talking heads saying things. Um, that's the stuff I look for the most for somebody on CNN that says something that makes sense. I'll, I'll put it up. Yeah. They need to be watched. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, my last question for you, and I think this was the case in Nashville. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure, but mm -hmm. how can anybody look at the continuation of like school masking policies where there's no mask mandate for anything else in life? Like, you know, you walk into the store, no problem, but the schools are, they're the only place that are masked. How can anybody look at that and, and say that this is based off of science or evidence at this point? None. They're, they're cult members. They're, there's none. I mean, they, they, uh, they ignore, and there's so much, there's so much evidence on this and so many studies done and so many mainstream people 
coming out now and saying that this makes no sense. And you still have people hanging on to this. Thankfully, they're a minority now. Uh, but that's the worst thing is is the forcibly muzzling of children, the forcible muzzling of children. It, it's horrifying that it's gone on this long. And um, just just the fact that uh, just the fact that there are still school districts allowing this to happen is beyond me. Um, I, I, I don't understand it, but it's going to take going and it's, it's going to take running against school board members who vote for these things. I mean, we had a massive school board shift in San Francisco. I, I don't know how big a part mask played in that, but, um, but uh, interestingly, they were able to, re they, they recalled three school board members just because of stupid COVID stuff. I mean, keeping the schools closed was a big factor. So it's going to take just replacing school board members and going forward, any, any uh, school board candidate should be asked, Hey, if if uh, if there's a COVID resurgence, are you gonna forcibly muzzle our kids? Because and what data are you gonna show that says this has any effect? Because like with your charts, if 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 it if it had an effect, we would see it, right? Because Florida, Tennessee, a lot of states had counties that did mask and counties that did not mask, especially Florida. And there's no discernible difference at all. Mm -hmm. Yep. You would see that. And yeah. they don't, I don't understand. It's just, it's so frustrating when you talk to people and they, they, I don't, it's, there's so much cognitive dissonance that they're willing to accept. And, and I, I still, I can only explain it by using terms like religion and cult, because that's the only way you can explain irrational behavior. At yeah. The least. That's a great point about asking these potential school board, you know, politicians down the road, and, and mm -hmm. everybody's going to have to pay a lot closer attention to this going forward. You know, what Absolutely. do you? What's your position on this? Uh, well, yeah. thank you so much, Scott, for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you can follow Scott on Twitter at sk Moorfield, and then at uh, obviously read at townhall.com. A lot of there's tons of great columns you put up uh, all the time, so go check it out. And thank you again, Scott. Thank you, Ian. It was great being here.